0: This episode is brought to you by Bi. It's Wonderwater. What makes Bi so great? It's simple. From Raspberry Lemon Lime by Sydney Sweeney to Zambia Bing Cherry and Palavo Pineapple Mango, Bi has antioxidants, electrolytes, and no artificial sweeteners. So for flavorful hydration, choose Bi. It's Wonderwater. Learn more about Bi and discover all of the exotic, bold flavors at DrinkBi.com. Welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Revealed. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. How much can you tell about a person from the books on their shelves? Well, quite a lot, according to the historian Geoffrey Roberts, because his new book, Stalin's Library, seeks to offer fresh insights into the Soviet dictator through a study of the vast book collection that he accumulated over his lifetime. In conversation with Rob Attar, Professor Roberts discusses the books that Stalin read and how they shaped his political trajectory and brutal regime.
2: Many books and biographies of Stalin have been written, including many by yourself. So I wondered what additional perspectives you think can be provided by approaching his life through his library
3: right yeah so, so my book is is essentially um an intellectual portrait of stalin um and i you know i paint the picture, i tell the story through um using his personal uh, book collection yeah including a number of texts about 400 texts that he actually he he marked or annotated or wrote in uh in in, in some in, in some form so basically it's an in, it's a portrait of an intellectual now i'm not the first by no means the first person to <laughs> to identify Stalin as uh, essentially being an in, an intellectual yeah that's not uh, a a new uh, uh that, that's that's not a new idea um you know, and there are other books out there that um, you know, provide an intellectual portrait or an intellectual biography of Stalin not that many actually um, because most of the literature tends to focus on on, on other aspects of, of his of his life um, but there's no book that actually um, you know F- focuses so much and so centrally on uh, his personal library as a source and the reason i do it and it's the reason i took on the project in the first first place because this is a kind of like uh, this is, this is a very special source yeah um it's the yeah, the only source that we really see stalin at his most intimate as an intellectual we see him thinking aloud we can to a certain extent, follow his thought processes. We can actually en- engage with him emotionally as he's reading various te- texts as well. So, you know, and th- there is no other source like, of course, you know, since the collapse of the USSR, um, we've had access to you know thousands of files, tens of thousands of documents uh, in in the, in the in the in the Soviet archives. Uh, you know, many of which uh, bear Stalin's like imprint or you know import into them, but you know they're kind of like public papers rather than private papers. Yeah. The, the, you know, the Stalin's library, apart from a few letters to, um, some family members, very short letters. It's the only really personal source we have in relation to, to Stalin. Yeah. So, 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 that, so that's that. I mean, that, that's, that's the USP of the book. We get an, in, you know, it's not, it's an intimate intellectual, uh, portrait of Stalin, a story told through, um, uh, viewing stalin's life as a reader and following his uh, pr- reading life
2: and when we talk about stalin's library how how should someone picture that are we thinking about a grand room filled with dusty volumes or is it really a collection of books that was dispersed around his various residences and rooms
3: it, 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 well it's it's latter it's <clears throat> it's a, it's a collection uh, of books <clears throat> and you know in some ways you can you know, if you're a if you're a reader yourself and you you know you, you collect books or you have a personal book collection, in some ways, you know Stalin's, Stalin's personal book book collection, um, it's very much like your own book collection. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the points that I always make about in relation to my personal relationship to his project is that my own personal library, which dates you know, back nearly fifty years now, has a lot of characteristics that are similar to Stalin's uh, library. A lot of the same books, in fact. Although, of course, you know my library is mostly English language, whereas library was in russian so stalin's library is just like anyone else's library in in one sense of course it's quite a, a big a collection uh, of books um we, we don't know exactly how big it was for reasons which maybe will come up later in the the, the interview but you we, know we're talking about maybe some 25000 texts yeah you know, books pamphlets uh, periodicals so quite a substantial um Collection, uh, and you know where 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 these books were kept. Where well, they were kept in his office, they were kept in his apartment, they were kept his 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 various uh, his various statutes Yeah. Now, having said that, so so he is a kind of scattered kind of collection. You know, it's it, it books to be found where he lives and and where and where he works. And actually, where he lives, he's always working. I mean, Stalin is always working, so he always needs access to uh, his books. Which and his books, this just, just by the way. This library is not just a, a book collection or something for casual reading. This is his research library. Yeah. This is his personal archive. That's, that's the crucial thing. So wherever he's working, you'll you'll find elements of this 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 personal library. Okay, but here's thing: in the mid-1930s, the library does actually um <clears throat> acquire what you might call a center of gravity in the form of a big new dacha, a big country house, which was constructed for him uh, on the outskirts of Moscow. And, you know, the central feature of this big dacha, this big big mansion was a library room, yeah, a huge kind of library room with some very big bookcases packed full, uh, full of books. But actually most of his books um, weren't, well, actually, in that room at the dacha. they were actually in an adjoining building. There was an adjoining building with a basement, and, and that's where most of his books was kept. Yeah, but so, so from mid nineteen thirties, the main, um, the center of Stalin's book collection is this, uh, is this dacha.
2: And you, you talked earlier about I think twenty five thousand volumes potentially in this library. So does this mean that Stalin was a really voracious reader? And if so, is that something that held true throughout his life?
3: Virtually his whole life, that's what Stalin mainly did. He read. He read books. I mean, it was it was reading that um, drew him to the revolutionary underground in Russia. Okay, as as a, um, a political activist, he engaged in all kinds of activities, but mostly what he did was read. You know, he read. Materials. He reflected on materials. He engaged with materials. Tried to turn them into agitational uh, material uh, and, and and that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, Stalin's whole life was, in one you know, in one sense, dedicated, uh, you know, to, to reading. Yeah, so so yeah, so so, so re- reading was what was Stalin's life. So it's, in a, in a way, it's not um, surprising that he, he ended up having such a huge uh, per- personal library and it's also not surprising in another sense. Okay. <clears throat> so I, you know, I, I described Stein earlier as an intellectual, um, but all of the Bolshevik party leaders were intellectuals like Stalin. They were all read <laughs> voraciously, as you put it. They all uh, built up quite huge personal book collections. And of course, um, the most important of these Bolshevik leaders uh, and the, the most important intellectual among them was, of course, Lenin. Yeah. Lenin was Stalin's mentor. Lenin was his role model. And Lenin, you know, after he took power in 1917, he's the leader of the country, he's effectively you know, the prime minister. He works in an office surrounded by books he has a he, he has a huge personal book collection when lenin dies in 1924 there were there were nearly 9000 books in in his collection so that that's that's the model which stalin um yeah bases himself when he when he becomes General Secretary of Party, and when he takes on Lenin's mantle as the leader of the Soviet state. Yeah, he's, you know, okay, he works surrounded by documents with all these kind of huge inputs coming into his office from his staff and from others, you know, uh, yeah, making decisions and so on. But he also works surrounded by his own personal book collection. And that's one of the most important sources of his thinking, his orientation, and indeed of many of the actual decisions he takes.
2: And so when Stalin's reading, is he reading predominantly for work purposes? Is it to educate himself? Does he sometimes read for pleasure? Is it a combination of all of these?
3: I think it's a combination of all those. Of course, you know, Stalin was was always working, yeah? yeah I mean, he was a workaholic, yeah? Um, <clears throat> and, you know, politics political engagement was the overwhelming you know feature of his life yeah uh, you know he, he, he neglected his family and you know, politics was was everything so his reading tended to be highly political not just in um in terms of the kind of things he was reading but his responses to it and and how he thought 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 to make make use of it yeah so it so it is very it's engaged and it's purposeful reading yeah but having said that he also does read for pleasure um he, He's certainly reading to learn. I think it's probably the most important thing about Starling when he's reading, uh, reading anything actually, not just his li- own library books. He's actually learning. He's learned, He's he's, learned, he's reading to learn something new. He's reading to le- learn from you know his impo- uh, opponents. He's le- he's, le- he's reading to okay to pick up some am- ammunition to use against them. But he's also reading them to actually some find some useful things that he, he, he can take. So 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 very much um, a learning reader, and you can actually see that. Um, in, in you know in 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 his library books where he marks his library books, yeah, you can see him engaging with political opponents in terms of the way he marks down and takes them. But you can also see him at the same time actually learning stuff from these very same people who he's gathering, you know, <laughs> ammunition on to attack publicly. Yeah,
2: so that's interesting because obviously within the Soviet Union there were a lot of restrictions placed on the works of. Um, foes, both internal and external. I presume it wouldn't be very easy for a typical Soviet citizen to read the works of Leon Trotsky, but Stalin didn't apply these strictures to himself then?
3: No, of course, St- Stalin had um, had access to any, any, any kind of book uh, that he wanted. Um, it's not really until the 1930s that you get really heavy kind of like restrictions on the reading matter that that's nineteen twenties a relatively relaxed regime. In nineteen the twenties there's still a lot of private publishers um in existence. There's actually still a lot of books being imported um yeah you know, from abroad, you know, being produced by Russian emigrate great groups. So, so it's only really in, in the nineteen thirties um that the restrictions come in. But, Having said that, of course, from the very beginning, the Bolsheviks had attempted to control what people uh, read. They had had attempted to control what books were in the library, what books that that people were were given access to. But, of course, yeah, none of these restrictions um, applied to Stalin. I mean, the other thing there was, of course, there um, there were a number of books that were... um, translated into Russian uh, on a restricted circulation basis. So there were only a few hundred copies made and that would have only been circulated uh, among Soviet leaders themselves. So for example, Winston Churchill's history of the Second World War, Churchill's memoir history of the Second World War, published in late 1940s, early 1950s, translated into Russian in in a restricted circulation edition. Stalin would have um, certainly been sent uh, a copy of that book. Now, whether or not he, he read it, I'm afraid we don't know because that's one of the many books that actually disappeared uh, from his library after his death. But but certainly, you know, he would have been presented with, uh, you know, a, a private translation of um, of, of Churchill's memoir, and also sometimes um, Stalin requested translations of particular uh, books that he wants to read personally. So so, for example, Stalin was very interested in Bismarck, yeah, and he. Um, he actually directed that a new translation be made of Bismarck's memoirs. And there was a particular book about Bismarck's conduct of foreign policy that Stalin had a special translation made for him.
2: Now, clearly Stalin had a very wide library, but um, are there any authors that were particularly important and were particularly well represented on his bookshelves?
3: Well, Stalin's favourite author was Lenin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Stalin had um, more books by Lenin than any other single author. And in terms of Stalin's marking his books, his annotations, yeah, yeah Lenin uh, is, is by far the most represented author. Yeah, okay. A large part of the of the, the library is um, it's a Marxist and socialist library because Stalin was a Marxist and socialist, so he tended to read. Um, the, you know, the literature generated uh, by it, by the movement that he he identified the, the with. So yeah, so you know it's very much um, you know the library of a, of a Marxist and socialist. But at the same time, there's lots of other g- different books in the library as well. It's not just Marxist, socialist, and, 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 and communist stuff. It's All kinds of books, all kinds of authors uh, that you find in Stalin's library.
2: And are there any books that? Really surprised you when you discovered that Stalin had them in his collection.
3: Um, I, I was, yeah, there was one book. In, but there was one book in particular that surprised me. It was that, and it was a book about um, constitutional law or the constitutions of uh, so-called bourgeois democratic countries. Now, the fact that he had this book. Is not so surprising, and it was a book that was based on um, uh, some lectures by a Soviet academic, yeah. But the fact was, the fact that surprised me was the attention that um, Stalin paid to this uh, particular book, marking up in quite some detail. You know, the book's description of different kinds of constitutions, different forms, different types of elections and election system. He marked up in, 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 in a huge amount of detail this particular book. So, so that was certainly. Um, um of interest to me and there was actually a precedent for that as well which which actually I discovered subsequently so I first I came across this book about, published in 1945 yeah so he read it quite late on and and Stalin, uh, had obviously read this book in great detail marked it in some detail that was very interesting then subsequently I came across another book on a similar kind of theme uh, which was published in the 1930s and he'd also marked up that book now that particular uh, piece of reading was um was inspired by the fact that in the mid nineteen thirties there was this discussion going on about the adoption of a new a new Soviet constitution a new Soviet constitution in nineteen thirty six and as part of his in- engagement with that process, Stalin obviously did some research of his own, and, and including the research into uh, the constitutions of, uh, other co- of, of, of other countries. And, in fact, he refers to them uh, in his own speeches. And that's an interesting illustration of a point I was making earlier, which is, which is that you know, Stalin's uh, personal reading, yeah, it's what I call his extracurricular reading, was often quite important in shaping you know, his politics and his policy yeah, and, his, and, his, and, his, and his strategies.
2: So, can we see the development of Stalin's political worldview through the books that he's reading and the annotations he's making on them?
3: We can certainly see a good deal of his worldview. Yeah, um, <clears throat> obviously the source in one sense is limited. Okay, there's you know four hundred books that he marked to one degree or another. Some of these books he didn't he didn't mark much at all. Obviously, marked in great in great detail, but. That, that that's just yeah you know, one part one glimpse of his life as a reader the books he read and how he in, engaged engaged with them yeah um, okay so then we have several thousand other books which we know <coughs> we, we we know were part of his library um, so that gives us some idea of his reading universe uh, as his life but <coughs> I think if you want yeah but if you want to see the development of Stalin's you know worldview and political thinking the best way to to do that is through what he says publicly is through his, um, his speeches and his own writings. I mean, one of the chapters uh, of my book is devoted to, um, well, it's it's partly devoted to uh, the whole project to publish, uh, Stalin's collected writings. Yeah. Now from Stalin's point of view, that was a very, very important um, project. Stalin wasn't much taken with the idea of biographies of himself, but he liked the idea of his works, his writings being being published, just like you know Lenin's works have been published, of course, and, and other Bolsheviks. So that was a very important um, project, uh, you know, to him, and they took a lot, of, a lot, paid that a lot of attention. So that kind of thing, um, yeah, and it's through you know Stalin's writings, you know, which, which date back to the the early twentieth century, through to the end. Yeah, that that's the best way to uh, trace his worldview. But the library can assist you in that process. You know, it can show you what he was reading at the same time, the different inputs into that, and, you know, and some, some of the things that might have influenced uh, his, his thinking. So, yeah, so my book, okay, is, you know, it's a portrait of Stalin, um, uh, you know, a, 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 as a reader, but it's also, to a certain extent, a portrait of Stalin as a writer, and also, most very importantly, a portrait of Stalin as an editor as well. So, you know, an intellectual portrait of Stalin as reader, writer, and editor. That, that's the, the essential theme of my book.
0: Still to come on the History Extra podcast.
3: Just after the revolution, when he, he filled out a, a a party questionnaire asking what special skills he could offer to the party, he put down journalists. You know that's what that's how he described. You know, and I think that's how he saw himself. He saw himself as a a professional uh, revolutionary, as a revolutionary uh, journalist. This episode is brought to you by Indeed.
1: Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com/historyextra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp h e l p.com/historyextra. eBay Motors is here for the ride.
2: And how um, strong or successful a writer was Stalin? I mean, you generally don't hear his name in the same vein as Lenin in terms of his intellectual contribution to the communist movement. Is is that unfair? Do you think?
3: Well, what I would say is this: is that, you know, Stalin was um, you know, a serious intellectual. Yeah, he took ideas seriously. He took um, intellectual activities very, very seriously indeed, uh, and he also had quite a high opinion of himself as an intellectual. You know, he genuinely saw himself as being Lenin's successor, you know, as not just the the leader of the party, the head of the state or the leader of the state, but also as, you know, the the Marxist theoretician of of, of communism. Yeah. Okay. But truth be told, Stalin wasn't (laughs) a great intellectual. Yeah. I I, I think um, there, there were one or two, contributions he made to the development of Marxist theory, but they weren't what you would call you know fundamental Fundamental contributions, yeah. Okay, so so he wasn't a great intellectual in terms of depth, profundity, originality, but he was very a very effective intellectual. Um, he was a great clarifier, simplifier, summarizer. Very, very, very um, effective, you know, presenter or of persuasive presenter of, of, of ideas. So, so that was his hallmark uh, as an intellectual, I'd say. <clears throat> now, and that that's reflected in in the way he wrote. I mean, basically. Stalin wrote like a journalist or wrote like a a journalist come come politician It's very, very journalistic. His prose, I would say, is very journalistic. And, of course, that's not surprising because one of the main um, roles that he played uh, before the Russian Revolution as as a political activist was that as a journalist, yeah. Writing articles, uh, editing newspapers. that's what he did. Uh, just after the revolution, when he, he filled out a, a, a party questionnaire, asking what special skills he could offer to the party, he put down journalists. You know, that's, what, that's how he described, you know and, and I think that's how he saw himself. He saw himself as a, a professional uh, revolutionary as a revolutionary uh, journalist. And that's very much the character of his own published writings, journalistic.
2: Now, of course, um, Stalin's regime is noted for the terrible atrocities that took place and millions of people killed, millions of Soviet citizens killed and the purges and the restrictions placed on people's lives. And do you get much insight into the motivations for his brutality through his reading?
3: Uh, Yeah, I, I mean, that's a very important point you've raised here. Okay, so, you know, yeah i present and you know stalin as an intellectual you know uh, a portrait of stalin as an intellectual as a reader he's reading life and you know you can read the book and you can actually come away with uh, you know a very you know positive impression of stalin in that respect but you know portraying stalin as a serious engaged intellectual uh, as a feeling intellectual, actually, is not in any way to deny, you know, um, yeah, you know, the, the, the brutal repressive nature of his dictatorship, and to deny his responsibility for the deaths of, of millions of, uh, of of innocent people, and in, and in fact, you know, in the book. You know, The very first sentence of the book is that, you know, this is a book about one of history's bloodiest dictators. That's the very first sentence in the book. And there's quite extensive treatment spread throughout the book of the repressive uh, aspects of Stalin's uh, dictatorship. In fact, there is a whole section uh, which is called Stalin's Terror, uh, which is devoted to... um, the mass repressions of the 1930s yeah when you know millions of people were arrested and hundreds of thousands were executed for um you know, uh, you know political crimes so so i attempt to uh, in that section i attempt to um explain you know, what's going on here and, and and stalin's role in in this process and there's no doubt that he orchestrated uh, the whole thing uh, you know, he set it in motion. He presided over it, and indeed, he was the one who actually brought it to an end in 1938. You know, he, you know, he drove the terror, but in the end, he also uh, curtailed it as well. Um, but yeah, you know, my basic explanation as to why Stalin terror, Stalin's terror, not just in the 1930s, um, but you know, throughout the whole of his regime, was that it was driven by ideas and the. Factors of Stalin's intellectuality is a very, very important part of the explanation for what was actually going on. Right? So, 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 yeah. You know, you know, basically, in the 1930s, the terror was driven by Stalin's belief. Uh, that the soviet union was under siege from foreign enemies and that there was an in, uh, there were uh, there was an internal conspiracy against the socialist system and that these internal enemies were linking up with with the soviet state's foreign enemies and 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 that that threat had to be crushed ruthlessly crushed particularly since uh, stalin also believed that there was going to be a new world war that war W- was coming that sooner or later there was going to be uh, another major global conflict, and the soviet union was uh, would would be dragged into that conflict and indeed might actually become its main victim if become, you know insert in certain, certain circumstances so so I see the terrorists being driven by Stalin's view of the situation, his his ideas, his belief in his ideas, his his belief in the idea that, that the, the stronger socialism became, you know, the, the more determined would its enemies be to actually destroy the system, to subvert it, to attack it from both inside and, and outside. So so so, so 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 it's Stalin's ideology, his belief, and his um, yeah, you know, and he feels this as well. No, it's not just an abstract idea. He feels the threat. <laughs> to the system and he reacts accordingly
2: and then you've, you've just mentioned the the war which, which of course did come uh right at the start of the 1940s for the soviet union did that change stalin's reading at all do you find him reading a lot more works by you know by british authors american authors german authors is he looking back to history more then at this point
3: well i think well it depends which part of the war you're talking about um Certainly, until 1941, until the, the, the Soviet Union um, becomes involved in the war, Stalin continues to read a lot of books. Uh, uh, there's evidence for that. I think once the war begins, once the Germans attack in June 1941, Stalin's um, reading life personal reading life is cut out, yeah? it's just too busy. He's, you know, Stalin is the whole, it's the centre, the linchpin of the whole Soviet, Soviet war, war phase. He's everything, yes? He's every, everything everywhere. He's the one taking all, all the major t- decisions. He simply doesn't have um, have time to actually, you know, to do much personal personal reading yeah yeah the second world war is a period in which his life as a, a personal reader uh, is cut out. But having said that um there's a kind of curious thing okay so the war come you know the, uh, just after the war in october 1945 the war's over uh yeah. You know, stalin is actually is, 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 is exhausted but by, by the war personally um so he he, he 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 goes on what what becomes the first of um Uh, annual holidays very long holidays on on the black sea and he's away from moscow for several months uh, every year okay so this is october 1945 this is the first of these holidays well what's the first thing he do when he arrives at his dacha in in georgia is that he calls in a group of georgian historians and he wants to have a discussion with them about their textbook history of Georgia because George Stalin was Jordan. So they had a particular uh, interest in that topic. And of course, also that, that that's of course why he he, he, he liked to go to Georgia. Uh, that's where most of his black sea dachers were, were located. So he caused them to discuss their, their history or two of them anyway. And this discussion goes on for, you know, four days four yeah, four day discussion about various aspects of, 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 Georgia's history. So even, you know, in that context, even during the war, Stalin's still keeping up his reading. You know, he's still reading things and he's still, he's still kind of engaging. And particularly, you know, I, I, if, if you ask me the question, what's Stalin's favourite subject? I suppose you'd have to say, well, yeah, Marxism. Yeah, the Marxist classics, the writings of Marx, Engels and Lenin uh, in particular. But coming a close second and almost, almost more important, I would say, in some ways, is history. Yeah. That's you know as, as a reader, Stalin is uh, obsessed with reading about the past, with reading about history, all different kinds of history. So in one way, you know it's it's rather it's rather odd that you know it to have this particular discussion, uh, but in another way, it's it. it yeah it's what you would expect you know for someone like stalin who's obsessed uh with history yeah he wants you know he has the opportunity he wants to discuss uh history and express his views with these uh, professional historians
2: now you you made the point earlier that a lot of his collection no longer survives or no longer survives as a collection so what did happen to his library following his death
3: <clears throat> yeah okay um let me just go back to what i was saying about lenin uh, earlier so so lenin had a big uh, personal book collection 9000 volumes when he died um and what happened to lenin's book collection was that it was preserved uh intact yeah including Le- lenin was the same as stalin lenin liked to to mark his books yes you know, he did the same thing um so so it was preserved intact yeah and and um a kind of museum in in honor uh, of uh, of Lenin was established just outside Moscow at a place called called Gorky where he'd spent the last part of his life. Okay, so when Stalin dies in 1953, the plan is to do the same with Stalin's personal book collection. Yeah, to... Treat, style in the same way as been treated to preserve that collection intact and the specific plan was to turn his dacha, the one I was talking about earlier where there was this big library to turn that into a stalin Stalin museum yeah and, and presumably part of the plan would have been to locate the library his library books or at least a good number of them at this at this particular location okay but what happens is is that uh, uh, Khrushchev denounces stalin at the uh, 20th party congress in 1956 after the congress uh, the whole uh, stalin museum project is shelved is 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 abandoned and decisions are taken to um to disassemble his personal effects yes yeah and not, not and including his books yeah okay so, so so what happens is is that 25000 books or thereabouts most of them, about 20,000 of them, are um, distributed to other libraries. They're given to other libraries, yes, to become part of those, those li- libraries' holdings. Um, about 5,000, five 5, books are retained by the Party Archive. And the reason that these books are, are retained is because they are identifiably Stalin's books. And they're identifiably Stalin's books for one of two reasons, or sometimes both reasons. Firstly, Stalin had marked them, yeah? It had his handwritings and markings in them. So it's about 400 texts we're talking about here. But then there was also another 5,000 books which um, had the imprint of Stalin's ex-libris stamp. What happens in the 1920s is that Stalin um, employs the services of a librarian, a librarian called um, uh, Shushanika Menuturans, yeah? Shushanika had been Lenin's. Um, uh, librarian. Yeah, she was Lenin's librarian. Okay, so Lenin dies in 1924, and then she because well, she not actually become uh, Stalin's sole librarian because she because she continues to work for Lenin's widow and then his sister. But she 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 does a job of work as um as Stalin's librarian. Yeah, and and, and one of the things she does is is she, she devises an ex-libris stamp. Yes, which is. Stamp to stamp in his books, which basically, in Russian, says, you know, you know the, the library of Joseph Stalin. And what this stamp was, was basically a replica or near replica of the kind of stamp that she'd done for Lenin. Lenin's books were also stamped, yeah? So Shoshanika comes along, she, she devises this stamp, and then she actually, um, Stamps his books, the books that he had at that present time. And that system of stamping new books into Stalin's personal collection continues for, for several years. Okay, but it comes to an end in in the early, in the early 1930s. For some reason it's not clear, the stamping of of Stalin's library books begins. But by that time, there's several thousand stamped books, right? Okay. And those are the books that are retained. Uh, after Stalin's death, yeah, because they had the stamp, yeah. So, so on all the other books are, are, are you know, they're given away to, to to other libraries, and you know. And the unfortunate thing is, is that d- during this process of you know d- dissolving Stalin's library, um, disassembling it, there's no record kept of what books was was in it and what um, which books were given to which libraries. So, so. So that's why we're uncertain as to the exact nature and scope of, of Stalin's library. Okay, but what did survive? Are this, you know, five five and a half thousand books, which identifiably, uh, you know, belonged to his library, and, that, and that's that's the that's the basic source for my uh, for my book uh, about Stalin's library. Just one other point about this: um, in terms of Stalin's marking of books, and in terms of the books that were stamped with his latest library stamp. Virtually all of the books are non-fiction books. Yeah, Stalin had a huge collection of fiction as well. We know from various sources. Yeah, thousands of uh, novels, plays, short story collections, whatever. Um, But because he generally didn't write in fiction, uh, and because these books weren't actually stamped as belonging to his library, that part of his collection completely disappeared after his death so we know that stalin um had this huge collection of of, of fictional books of literature we know that he read a, a huge uh, amount of literature we know this from other sources but we don't we, we don't exactly know um you know you know, you know what books are actually were in his fiction collection, so we kind of there's a bit of guesswork that that goes go, that goes on there. But still, in, in my but I do have a chapter called Stalin and Soviet Literature uh, about Stalin and Soviet literature. And what I do there is like it's work from back from what Stalin said about literature and about various aspects of cultural policy to actually build a picture of Stalin as a reader of uh, of, of, of of fiction as well as nonfiction.
2: And subsequent to Stalin, did any Future Soviet or Russian leaders share his enthusiasm for reading.
3: Oh, I, I think I think that I think they all did. I think they all did. Yes, to one degree or uh, another. Um, probably the the post-Stalin leader that comes closest to um, Stalin in the, in the intellectual terms, in terms of reading, will be Gorbachev. I would say, also maybe um, Andropov as well. Andropov, um, yeah, he was a bit of an intellectual uh, as, as well. Yeah, so so you know you know, you know, you know, reading was an essential part of you know, Bolshevik culture. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, from from the get go, um yeah, you know, reading was seen by the Bolsheviks as being, you know, an instrument of transformation, not just an instrument of revolutionary agitation. Not just the instrument of um, changing people's consciousness, um, developing them into socialists, but also an instrument for you know uh, for, for the transformation of human nature. Yeah, so so you know, through ideas, through people's engagement with ideas, through reading matter. That's the way you know, uh, that, you know the, the Bolsheviks you know saw themselves carrying through this kind of fundamental uh, uh, you know rev- revolution uh, so that that so that, uh, that was very deeply ingrained in the whole bolshevik tradition so naturally you know reading was you know was was central and, and not just for the leaders of the party but also for for for, for the members as well and stalin himself played um, a great deal of uh, attention to the uh, theoretical education of 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 party, mem- party, party members. And in the 1930s, he was very heavily engaged in a project to write a, um, a history of the communist party, a short history of the communist party. Now that's a text that subsequently um, yeah, becomes quite a notorious text because it's seemed to, embody a lot of stalinist dogma and it contains a lot of denunciations of of stalin's uh enemies within the party uh, you know and, and it's it's a very very like one-sided and distorted account of the history of the Communist Party. there's no b- doubt about that but the thing that was um that stalin was trying to achieve with that book was to actually educate the party members or or n- n- not, not the lower ranks, but the middle ranks. It was a tool of education. You know, he wanted to educa- educate educate me in the history of the party, but also the theory of the party. Yeah. Um, so, so it's very much. A, or Stalin saw it. This short history, a book of kind of ideas, and his his argument was a lot. You know, people need to grasp the essential ideas of the party if they're going to be, uh, you know, effective party cadres.
0: That was Geoffrey Roberts. Stalin's Library, A Dictator and His Books is out now, published by Yale. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Ben Hewitt, Jack Bateman and Brittany Colley.